0: I want to introduce our Summerfest speaker to you. Um, I've known John for a long time. We met uh, when he was 18 years old. I was 19. Uh, We were students at Wheaton College together. And uh, from the time I met John, he's always had this great earnestness to know the Lord and to make him known to others. Um, He started after starting a church in the Phoenix area uh, that's still going gangbusters. He Went to a church in Parker, Colorado, outside of Colorado Springs. I'm not sure how many people are in the church, but there are about 3,000 families in the church. And so um, we had, John was one of our first Summerfest speakers. We've been doing this event for a really long time. And he spoke to us in 1997, and then we had him back in 2010. And uh, it looks like every 13 years, we're going to have him back. And so we want to um, uh, welcome him, give a warm welcome, Claremont Emanuel, welcome to John and his wife, Kathy. If
1: you don't mind, I'd love to pray before we do this. Jesus, um, it's real easy for me uh, to maybe get caught up and trying to figure out clever things to say. And I love how Paul said... Um, when I stood before you, I stood before you with fear and trembling and I wanted to know nothing but Christ and him crucified and uh, it doesn't really matter what I want to say to people, what your Holy Spirit wants to say from your words. So uh, if there are things I'm supposed to say in the service I didn't in the last, would you bring them to my heart? If, if there's things I'm supposed to leave out, would you help me just skip over those? But um, each person here, your Holy Spirit wants to speak to in a different way. So somehow use this message in hearts in your name. Amen. So I believe every single person in this room, I believe this all my heart, every one of us in this room has the power to change someone else's life. You have the power to change someone's life for good or, or for bad. In Proverbs eighteen twenty-one it says the tongue has the power of life and death. Um, now, we can change people's lives for good through evangelism, and that is for eternity. Tonight, we're going to talk more about evangelism and sharing Jesus with people, but we also can change people's lives through encouragement, um, and that's changing our life, not, not only for eternity, but for good, you know, while they're here on earth. Um, And encouragement is powerful. It's more than just words, but words are a powerful part of it. And, you know, we all know the Big Ten, right? The Ten Commandments, and um, the the Pharisees knew 613 commandments in the Old Testament they tried to obey. There's a commandment uh, in the book of Hebrews that I think we often overlook, but probably because the personality God's given me This is a powerful commandment to me. It's in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. If you have a Bible, you might want to go there. We're going to spend a few minutes just on those two verses, and then we're going to kind of travel through the book of Acts. So you can put your finger in the book of Acts chapter 4. But it says this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters. Make sure you do this, brothers and sisters. See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily. Doesn't say encourage one another once in a while. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called a day, so that none of you may be hardened. By sin's deceitfulness, and so this verse, I think we're going to see what encouragement is real quickly. I'm going to go through six things, then we're going to see how we can be encourager. But first, I want us to understand what the Bible means by encouragement. So the first point is this, encouragement means to come alongside others. It literally in Greek means to come alongside others, and this is a command, it's in the imperative tense, it says, encourage one another. The word in Greek for encourage, if you're into Greek words, is parakaleo. We get, you know, we have paralegals, right? A paralegal is someone who comes along, a lawyer to assist. Para in Greek means alongside and paleo means to call. So it says we're called alongside to give people what they need to keep going, to put courage inside of them. And what's amazing about this word, that's the verb tense, but Jesus uses the noun of this verb in John 14. And he says this, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate. Okay. Um, and by the way, that's the noun form, paraclete, not paracleo, but paraclete, It means he'll give you another person he's called alongside you to help you to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And, and again, a little Greek lesson, in Greek, there's two words for other. There's alas, and, and all of a sudden, I'm forgetting the second one, but, but one word in Greek for another is this. Let's say someone brings you a Diet Coke, but you wanted tea. So you say, I'd like to have another drink. You mean another drink of a different kind. Or maybe you finished your Diet Coke, and you say, I'd like another Coke. I'd like a refill. I want another of the same kind. When Jesus said the Father was going to send another advocate, he was using the one that means another one just like me, because he's part of the Trinity. It's another of the same kind. and. We have a hard time translating the word paraclete into English. So if you look up in different versions of the Bible, it will say this. I'm going to ask him to send another helper, another counselor, another comforter, another friend. I mean, we don't know how to put that word in another one to come alongside. Jesus says, I've been walking alongside you as disciples. The Holy Spirit's going to come. In fact, in John 14, 26, he says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, Whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. So here's what I want you to understand. That when you and I are called alongside someone else, when we're called to encourage... We're called to do what the Holy Spirit does. And if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, He longs to work through us to come alongside other people, right? I have the Holy Spirit in me, you have the Holy Spirit in you. In fact, in Acts 1 8, right, He says, You'll be my witnesses. You know, wait and just till you receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. But the Holy Spirit's in us not just to share Christ with people who don't know Him, but to encourage it. When every time you encourage someone, If you're surrendered to Jesus, you're doing the work of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit's working through you. Second, encouragement means being in tune to each other, being aware of what's going on in each other's lives. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, I mean, look out for each other. See to it that none of you turns away from the living God, but encourage one another. There's a spiritual gravity in this world. Satan's always trying to drag people away and, and we need to be in tune to each other. That's why you're in men's ministry or women's ministry or small groups or, or helping in the worship team. Be aware of each other, you know? And do you have someone who might not, might walk up to you on a Sunday and say, are you okay? You've just seemed a little off, you know, the last couple of weeks. Or if you're missing, do they just say, haven't seen you in two or three weeks? Or do you do that for anyone else? Um, I try to pray through our church directory, and sometimes when I'm praying through it, I'll I'll see a name of someone I haven't seen in a few weeks. And so here's the awkward thing. I I literally call them up and say, hi, this is John. And they go, oh. (laughs) And I say, I'm in this awkward spot because I'm your pastor. And so when I call, I'm just telling you, I've missed you, I haven't seen you in a while. I'm not calling up so you have to explain yourself. you know." But I also think if I don't call, you think I don't care. So I'm in this awkward spot. I'm calling. I just want you to know I still care. It's amazing how many times people will show up the next week just because someone called. And you don't have to be a pastor, right, to do that, to call and and check on someone else. Um, Third, encouragement is the antidote to an unbelieving heart. It's like an antidote to this poison that can settle in our hearts. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of us has an unbelieving heart, but encourage one another. He says, the way you help someone with an unbelieving heart is encouragement. By the way, uh, in Greek, the word for believe, the word for faith, and the word for trust are all the exact same word. It's pistis. And, And the truth is, I'm a relational person. I think Christianity is all about relationships. It's not about ritual and rules and religion. It's about relationships. So every time I read a verse that talks about faith or believing, I write trust next to it. So I'd say it this way see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of us has a heart that doesn't trust God anymore, but encourage one another. Okay? And when we encourage people, I, I, I told them last service, I think it was Steve Walker I heard say this. Um, because Kenny and Steve were best friends in college and I knew them both. He would Steve led a Bible study was in. Teaching is when you get new information. Encouragement is when you're reminded of what you already know. But we can stop trusting God. And it's this toxin that can settle on our soul. And if someone encourages us, it can help us start trusting God again. It can wash that out. Fourth, encouragement is the antidote to a sinful heart. Once we quit trusting God, then we start doing whatever we want or, or going the wrong direction. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful heart. But encourage one another. By the way, you know the word sin in Greek is literally an archery term. It means to miss the mark. Like if you are pointing at a target and and you miss the bullseye by an inch, they would say in that time you sinned or you missed the mark by an inch. If you miss it by six inches, you sin by six inches. If you're teaching your son how to shoot a bow and arrow and he gets frustrated and he turns around and shoots it the other direction, you could sin by hundred yards, right? That's just rebellion. And sometimes even when we're trying to do what's right, we we miss, right? Um, one time I didn't sin by an inch or six, one time I sinned by $67. Um, my wife had put wa- long time ago, laundry in the washing machine and it stopped and she was gone so I thought it'd be nice and put it in the dryer. And when I came home, she says, you ruined my sweater. You know, I, I was trying to do the right thing. I still you know, sinned by $67. Um, but, but when our heart starts bending towards sin, The best thing we can do for someone is pray for them and be an encouragement to them. Um, A number of years ago, I was a youth pastor in Vista Oceanside Carlsbad. By the way, my wife and I met at College Avenue Baptist, got married 42 years ago at that church. Um, uh, I was here when Steve Walker was ordained, sat on his ordination council. I knew Ray Hahn and I knew Von Truxler. Not well, but... um, Anyway, a long time ago, I'm in Vista Oceanside, I'm a youth pastor, and I had a really close friend, he was a parent, I was 26 or 27, he was 40, he helped with the youth group, and I noticed that he was spending a lot of time with a woman who wasn't his wife, she was a new Christian, and and it bothered me, you know, but I didn't know what to do, so um, we went to lunch, and um, I was a very generous guy, I took him to McDonald's, because that's the kind of guy I am, and... um, and while we're eating lunch, I said, can I tell you a story? And he said, sure. I said, I heard a story about a, a woman who's trying to hire a stagecoach driver. And this was in the old west, you know, and she's interviewing drivers and you know, those flappy doors they had on saloons and she's inside an office and there's two guys sitting outside waiting their turn to interview. They could hear the questions she was asking the guy inside. And she asked a number of questions, but one was, you know, dead man's curve outside of town with that really steep cliff, If you were driving my stagecoach, how fast could you drive it? And how close could you get to the edge without being nervous? And the guy said, ma'am, I could take your horses at half gallop within two feet of the edge, and they would be completely safe. He leaves. The next guy comes in. He heard all the questions. When they got to that, he wanted to one-up him. So he said, ma'am, I could take your horses at three-quarter gallop within a foot of the edge, and they would be completely safe. The last guy came in. She asked all the questions. She gets that question. And he says, ma'am, if I was driving your stagecoach, I'd stay as far away from the edge and go as slow as I had to to get around it safely. And she says, you have the job. And I looked at my friend and I said, brother, you were getting really close to the edge. I've seen how much time you're spending with this woman. I mean, my heart's beating hard. I'm 26, 27. What do I know? And we went on to finish our Big Mac or whatever. talked about other things. We started walking back to his place of work. There was a little alley we went down. I'll never forget to say, as we're walking down the alley, he puts his hand on my chest and stops me. He backs up to the wall of this building, puts his foot up and just starts sobbing and says, John, I've been over the edge five times with five different women. And if you hadn't said something, this would have been number six. And he said, what breaks my heart is I led her to Christ and I was gonna spoil my own fruit. I I, I didn't beat him up, but but it was an antidote. I mean, it changed his heart. It changed his life. It scared me to death. Take that risk. Fifth, encouragement's the antidote to a hardened heart that turns away from God. Our hearts can get hard. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you turns away from the living God, but encourage one another so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin can deceive us. We think if I have this, it'll make me happy. By the way, um, in Matthew 19, remember the religious leaders come to Jesus and they want to ask if it's okay to get divorced. And I love the fact that they said, is it okay to divorce your wife for any and every reason? And Jesus says, I don't even want to talk about divorce. If you look at it, all he does is, is this is what marriage is. You know, It's not that way from the beginning. God made them male and female and man will cleave to his wife and leave his father and mother and God will make them one flesh. And All he does is, is he defines marriage. But they come back at him and say, well, then why did Moses command a man to write a bill of divorce? And Jesus said, he allowed you to get divorced because your hearts were what? Hard. I mean, it's real easy for us to let little things like build calluses in our life. And he says, we got to watch out for each other, not just in marriage, but that our hearts don't get hard. And I love Ephesians 4.32 in the King James Version, you know, be kind to one another, tender hearted forgiving one another. And our encouragement can help people's hearts stay soft toward God. Finally, encouragement needs to happen every day. Every day. So encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Part of my story is that um, when I was five years old, my, my father died of cancer. Um, and uh, I was the third of four children. My, younger, my, my dad died the day before my younger brother turned four years old. He'd been sick for two years. Um, My mom is an amazing godly lady. She passed away in 2017 at the age of 94. But I remember her looking me in the eye and say, Johnny, God is your father. He is the best father anybody could ever have. But six years later, when I was 11, my mom remarried. Now, my, my father had been in the Army Air Corps in the European campaign on bombing missions. Then he got out, became a Los Angeles police officer. Then he went back in the Air Force when it became a separate division of the military. But six years later, my mom remarries my stepdad, who was a California Highway Patrolman who'd been in the Army Air Corps in the Pacific campaign. So I guess she liked uniforms and authority figures. And um, he was a great man. I love my dad. Um, but he grew up in a really tough background. And I swear, he thought if he complimented someone, it would give him a big head. And no matter how hard I worked to get his affirmation, which I wanted because I hadn't had a dad for six years, it, you know, like, I'd come home with straight A's, and he'd say... That's what you're supposed to do. And I said, I have friends who get $5 for every day. And he says, I'm not going to pay you for what you're supposed to do, you know. And, uh, and then I played football and had a really good football game. And we had the Ukaipa News Mirror, you know, this really big newspaper. I don't, how many know where Yukaipa is? Amazing. Um, and they wrote an article about the football game. And, and, and I watched my dad read it, and he got done. And he looked at me, and he said... They write about you like you're a professional football player. You're just a high school kid. And he threw it on the floor, you know. No matter how hard, the harder I tried to get his affirmation, the less he gave it. And then one day a man came up and says, do you know how proud your dad is of you? And I said, no, I (laughs) I don't. Um, And he said, he talks about you all the time. And what I began to realize is um, he was afraid if he encouraged me that other people would say I'd get a big head. I'll never forget when I graduated from seminary as a youth pastor and my dad... um, Lived in Yukaipa, I was up in Vista Oceanside Carlsbad, and he sent me a letter. This was a day when you write things on a piece of paper and put it in an envelope and write an address and stamp and but he'd read an article in a Christian magazine by a pastor and he put it in there. I don't even remember the article of state, but he included a really short note. And it said, Son, when I read this article, I thought it was outstanding, and when I think of outstanding, I think of you. Love Dad. I mean, I kept that letter. In fact, I'm heartbroken because somewhere in a move from one office to another I lost it. But you know what, there's enough in this world to knock the knees out from under people. Be an encourager, okay? Um, And do it every day. So that's what encouragement is. Now we're gonna learn how to do it from the man who knew how, a guy named Barnabas. So if you wanna go to the book of Acts, we're gonna travel through there and um, you're gonna learn about Barnabas. Barnabas was a nickname. The nickname for it meant son of encouragement. He was such an encourager. I've had some nicknames, nothing nearly as nice as that in my lifetime. It says, but here, first of all, like Barnabas, we come alongside others and in, offer them encouragement that they need when we are generous with those in need. When we're generous with those in need. By, how many of you ever read the five languages of love or the five love languages? Okay, can I tell you something? Barnabas did all of them and he never read the book. So um, I love this when people write books that just affirm what God's word teaches. How many of you have ever read the five levels of leadership by John Maxwell? Anyone ever read that? Okay, well, if you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul did all five levels without reading John Maxwell's book. So, But here's what it says in Acts chapter 4. Brand, the church is brand new. It says, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. I don't know what made that gift more special than any of the others, but for some reason it stood out, and and it was from Barnabas. And, And being generous is kind. Every Christmas for the last few years, there's a couple in our church who are very well off. God's blessed them through inheritance and other things. They come to me and they hand me 10 envelopes with $500 in each envelope. And they said, Pastor, I don't know who in this church has a need and I don't want to give the money to the church and I don't want them to know it's from me. Would you please give these 10 envelopes to 10 different families? I get to be like Santa's helper. I mean, a Jesus helper. Um, this last year might have been a little over a year ago but um a guy i led to christ nine years ago named dale took his own life his wife still goes to church and and the really cool thing is uh, he has two sons 10 and 13 and another one is younger but they both came up at easter and gave their life to christ i got to baptize them um he wore a cross on his neck they were wearing the cross their dad wore um but at christmas time i went up to amanda and i said i know this has been a hard year somebody wanted you to have and just see tears in their eyes i mean In fact, if you don't think being generous is encouraging, when the service is over, walk up to somebody and say, God put on my heart to give you a $20 bill. See what they do, you know. Um, They probably will say, no, 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 I want you to have it. Um, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. By the way, if you're really, really smart and you had the time, you would become friends with my wife because her language of love is giving and gifts. She she thinks more about who you are and what gift is perfect. We've been here. We went to Newport Beach last week. We've been here this week. I can tell you stories. We've been to looking for the perfect thing for our two grandkids or for this friend or that friend. Or we're looking for our grandkids and she sees. Oh, Christy would love that. You know, it's like, I'm like, I. What do you think we ought to give them? Give them a five dollar gift card to Chipotle. I don't know. You know. <laughs> Generosity encourages people. Proverbs 12. We did a whole series on Proverbs this year, 24 and 25. These verses have just been haunting me, challenging me, convicting me. It says this, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. And I love this, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And if you want a challenge, you can ask someone else, do do I come across like a, a, a generous person? Here's what I'd say. How much do you tip at a restaurant. I heard one man say, I only give the Lord 10%. I'm not giving a waiter 20, you know. You give the Lord 10% of everything you make. The waiter, you know, um, and the amazing thing is if you give a dollar or two more than 20%, they think you're the most amazing person in the world, right? I mean, a generous person um, will will be refreshed. Uh, I think about that all the time. Second, another way to encourage besides words, is to embrace someone. Like Barnabas, we come alongside others and offer them encouragement that they need when we embrace those who others are uncertain about. You know, this is the language of love. The first one is gifts and giving gifts. This one is physical touch. Um, In Acts 9, skip to Acts 9. Saul had gone around killing Christians. He'd been hunting down Christians. He encounters Jesus. His life is radically changed, right? Right? His life is radically changed. He goes back to Jerusalem. He wants to join the leaders of the church. They are freaking out because they know he's a guy who tries to kill Christians. They think he's just like a, a, you know, a secret agent, double agent, trying to sneak in to get to know them. And it says this, When he or when Saul came to Jerusalem, he, joined the, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing or not trusting, remember the word, but not trusting that he really was a disciple. But... But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And, and in the New American Center version, it says Barnabas took hold of him because the Greek language means to take hold of someone. Um, you know, sometimes people are different than us and we're not sure how to respond to them, but encouragers, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt. I was in college at a chapel once. I think it was Dr. Weber was speaking, Kenny, and he stood up in front of me and he says, you can go through life like this. And no one will ever hurt you. You can fend off or you can go through life like this. And someone may punch you in the stomach or slap you in the face. But if you go through life like this, someone else might go like this. And you can embrace each other. Um, I found an article written in 2012 on 10 reasons why we need at least eight hugs a day. Okay? And here's what it starts. Hugging therapy is definitely a powerful way of healing. Research shows that hugging as well as laughter is extremely effective at healing, sickness, disease, loneliness, depression, anxiety and stress. Laughter can do that too. By the way, um, ask for prayer. I, I have an anxiety about elevators, so I'm taking steps to avoid them. OK? so just pray. Um, <laughs> laughter's good for you, isn't it? My wife's glaring at me. She hates my dad jokes. Um, the problem with stairs is they're always up to something, so I don't know what to do.) Um, Research shows that a proper deep hug where hearts are pressing together can benefit you in many ways. And here's some of them. I'm not going to read all, every little sentence, but it says, the nurturing touch of a hug builds trust and a sense of safety. By the way, there are creepy hugs, right? You understand that? I shared this at my church, and Vicky, who's a leader in our church, came up and said, I was sitting next to my husband, Alan, when you said that, he leaned over because he says, every hug is a creepy hug. He just doesn't, you know but it builds trust, a sense of safety. Two, hugs can instantly boost oxytocin levels, which bring healings of loneliness, isolation, and anger. Three, holding a hug for an extended time lifts one's serotonin levels. Another one is hugs strengthen your immune system. Unless it's COVID, then you have to stay six feet apart. Hugging boosts self-esteem, and I love this. The cuddles we receive from our mom and dad while growing up remain imprinted at a cellular level, and hugs remind us that we can connect and love ourselves. In fact, I read an article years ago that hit me before I had my daughter, and it said this. Little girls who get a lot of physical affection from their dad don't go seeking that kind of wrong affection from a young man when they get older. Guys, keep it in mind. Hugging relaxes your muscles. Hugging balances out the nervous system. Hugs teach us how to give and receive. Hugs are so much like uh, laughter. They teach us to let go and be present in the moment. And then the author wrote this. There's a saying by uh, Virginia Seter, a respected family therapist. I probably said her last name wrong, but says this, we need four hugs a day to survive. We need eight hugs a day to, for maintenance. We need 12 hugs a day for growth. Eight or more hugs might seem like a lot, the author said. says, but I asked my child, how many hugs a day do you like? And she said, I'm not going to tell you how many I like, but it's way more than eight. <laughs> someone asked Mother Teresa, how do I help with world peace? And she said, go home and love your kids. I would say this, go into your community and encourage other people. It's going to, you know, it softens hearts. Three, like Barnabas, we come alongside others and offer them encouragement that they need when we speak well of someone to others. When we, when we build others up. Um, and this is words of affirmation, another love language we got you know gifts and and physical touch and affirmation in in Acts chapter nine, right after Barnabas brings Paul to the apostles, it says this, but Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and now and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them. Saul didn't have to tell his story. He didn't have to brag about himself. Barnabas says, let me tell you about this guy. This guy's awesome.
0: You know,
1: um, do we do that? In Proverbs 27 too, it says, let someone else praise you and not your own lips an outsider and not, um, not your own mouth. So here's the question. Do you ever praise someone else? Do you ever tell, you know, they did the coolest thing. Do you encourage people? Do I do that? And, and here's something I've learned. You know, I believe with all my heart That wives want 60 to 70% to be loved and cherished, and 30 or 40% to be deeply respected. And husbands want 60 or 70% to be deeply respected, and 30 or 40% to be loved. We still want love. So, men, if we're wise, and I'm not always good at this, when we speak to our wives, we'll speak in a loving, cherishing kind of way. And women, if you're wise, when you speak to your husband, you'll speak to him in a respectful way, even if you struggle with what he does try to say it in a way that shows respect for who he is. Um, but the tongue holds the power of life and death. In Matthew 12, 34 and 35, Jesus said, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus is deeply concerned about our heart. Here's the way I put it. If, if, if you're carrying around a cup brimful of boiling hot coffee and you bump into someone, what spills on them? Boiling hot coffee. If you're carrying around a cup full of ice cold water and you bump into someone, what spills on them? Ice cold water. If you're filled up to here with frustration and anger and depression and discouragement and someone bumps into you, what spills out on them? You know, ugliness. If you're filled up to here with Jesus and love and grace and, and belief and you bump into someone, what spills out? You might end up being their best friend. Oh, I'm sorry. I So our words matter. So good question. What do your words, what do my words say about the contents of my heart? And if my heart's not right, how do I get there? Um, Fourth, like Barnabas, we need to remember a person who feels forgotten. I don't know if you've ever felt forgotten and someone came and found you. But uh, in, in Acts 11, it's been 14 years since Paul came to Jerusalem. While he was there, people tried to kill him. They sent him off to Tarsus. He's making tents. This man who had been a Pharisee of Pharisees, a religious leader, deeply respected. All of a sudden, he's a nothing in the Jewish world, and he's off making tents, and everyone's forgotten him. It's 14 years after he came to Christ, and it, and, and we find out that the Jewish leaders were only sharing Jesus in Jerusalem and Judah, um, even though Jesus said, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And when Stephen was killed, everyone who was Christian they freaked out, and they scattered, and they finally did what, and I think Stephen's would have been Honored to know my death caused the gospel to spread to other places in the world. But some leaders go to Antioch and they start sharing Jesus with people who aren't Jewish. And the Jewish leaders go, whoa, is that okay? And they do what the smartest thing you can do. They send Barnabas to see what's going on. <laughs> and in Acts 11:22 it says, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Encouragers catch people doing something right instead of always correcting people for what they do wrong. That was awesome. The way you prayed was from your heart. I mean, you didn't really have your theology great, but your, your prayer was from your heart. Let me help you understand who the Holy Spirit is or whatever. And then I love this part. It says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Remember, I told you that paraclete means Holy Spirit who comes alongside and and encouragement is paracleo. Because Barnabas was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was able to come alongside people and offer what the Holy Spirit wanted to give to them. And then it says, after all that, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. It'd been 14 years. Saul's making tents. He thinks he's forgotten him. And he looks up and Barnabas is standing at the door. What do you think that did to Paul's heart? So what are you doing here? says Paul I couldn't get you off my mind I know the Holy Spirit said you're gonna preach to the Gentiles I'm teaching Gentiles. would you come back with me I don't know if you've ever had someone remember you after being forgotten but I want to tell you something there would be no apostle Paul if there hadn't been a Barnabas most of us don't think much about Barnabas but because Barnabas embraced him and found him and brought him back we have Paul um, and you can encourage others and raise them up um Gotta talk about Kinney for a minute here. <laughs> I'm eighteen years old, I'm a freshman at Wheaton. I get there, I find out that Kinney and his friend Steve Walker are like the spiritual leaders on this Christian campus. And I'm thinking, how did a guy who was only a sophomore, how in their freshman year were they such godly men that even the juniors and seniors saw them as spiritual leaders? And and he took me under his wing. I told the men, I still highlight my Bible the way I saw Kenny used to highlight his Bible when he had a certain verse. And um, Leighton Ford, who was Billy Graham's brother-in-law, who was the president of Lausanne Conference on Evangelism, came to Wheaton. And I don't know how Kenny weaseled his way up to this guy who's this big dog, but he invited him to his apartment for breakfast, and there's like 30 of us crammed in this apartment. Kenny invited me to come, and, and, he, and he said to Leighton Ford, How would you define discipleship? And Leighton Ford says, Discipleship is finding out where someone is spiritually and helping them take the next step closer to Jesus. To this day, I use that definition in our church. We need to find out where people, if they don't believe in Jesus, the next step is helping them come to Jesus. And if they know Jesus, and um, Kenny prayed with me and my roommate Jim Nicodem in the car. And uh, to this day, he'll send me texts about at least once a month. I get a text on Saturday night or Sunday morning saying, I'm praying for you right now as you preach with a a Bible verse. And and I have to tell you, when he called and said, would you come speak at Summerfest? I felt like Kenny remembers me. Um, So if God puts him on your heart, send him a text, send him a thing. (sighs) I'm 18 years old, I'm at Wheaton. I grew up in Southern California, Yucaipa. Pastor Sloan was my pastor. When my dad died, he was at our house. When I had the measles, he brought over board games. When I was eight years old, um, my friend Karen, who's sitting right here, Karen's, uh, my dad died when I was five, so my mom was a single mom. Her mom was a divorced single mom. Karen and I, since we were five years old, would go on vacations together and have Thanksgiving together. And um, she's like my sister, I'll talk about that in a minute. but. We raised our hand on a Sunday night, and Pastor Sloane took Karen, me, and my younger brother Russ, seven and two eight-year-olds, back in his office and prayed with us to give our life to Christ. And he baptized me. So I'm in college, and I think I should write him a letter. I don't know why. And again, this is when you write on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope. Man. And I just said, Pastor Sloan, I just want you to know I think God's calling me to be a pastor and a lot of it's because of who you were and how I respect you and how you taught God. I don't know, God's word. I don't even remember what I wrote. But about a week later, my mom calls up and says, Pastor Sloan read your letter at the prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And I said, what? And she said that he told the whole church that someone had criticized him deeply and he'd been having other criticism because he allowed a Presbyterian minister to speak at the Baptist church. And for other things... And he was so discouraged by the criticism he'd been receiving that he'd written his letter of resignation. And he got your letter in the mail. And he tore up his letter of resignation and threw it in the trash. And I thought, I'm an 18 year old punk kid. I mean, you know, that was not theological. You could do that. You can make that impact. In if God brings someone to mind, you have no idea why. Remember somebody. Fifth, include others in what we're doing. It says, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch because of them. We have that name. Um, but but Barnabas included Paul. He said, or he was Saul at the time. I need you to help me. If you are doing something of significance, find someone and ask him to come alongside you. Sixth, I'm going quick now. I can spend more time on each of these. Spend time with others. Somebody said that... Um, Children spell love, T-I-M-E, right? I have a nine-year-old grandson, and a seven-year-old granddaughter. My wife will tell you, they can't wait to get to Papa's house. I'm, I'm Papa John. Just, and, um, <laughs> but here's what drives I have played with them so much. They come for swim lessons. And while one of them's having a swim lesson, I'm in the pool playing with the other one. And then when the other one has a swim, we, we swim places and, and they want to play hide and seek. And my granddaughter wants to be a, Sunshine, rainbow, strawberry, princess, dragon, and I'm her daddy, and you know, it, it wears me out. But, um, but they love you, just, and I have to sit down and say, it's all about them. They're here right now. Spend time with others. By the way, that's another language of love. Quality Time says, so for a whole year. Now, I gotta tell you, I'm here for three days, and I'm honored to be here. But I happen to know that on September 1st, 20, Kenny will have been your senior pastor for 20 years. 20 years. That's quality time. And he was on a staff before that. And Eloy has been here. He told me 38 years. And and, and Nathan has been here, I think he said, since 1999 or something. And, and um, Zach, nine years. You know how weird it is for a youth pastor to hang around for nine years, you know? He's still young, so that works. Um, But you ought to be thankful for a shepherd who's given you that kind of time. Um, here's a huge encouragement to me this weekend. I mentioned Karen. Ed and Karen are sitting over here. Um, and we grew up together. And they live in Yukaipa, And this is how much they love us. Do you know what the traffic is like between Ukaipa and San Diego? Probably took them three out. They drove down here yesterday and spent the night and paid to be at a hotel. So and says, I want to go hear my brother John preach, you know. I mean those things mean a lot, right? Seventh, we got to be willing to let others take the lead. There's a very subtle change in the book of Acts that a lot of people overlook. In Acts 11.30 it says that the church of Nehemiah sent an offering by Barnabas, that's the first name, and Saul. And then in Acts 13.3 it says, set apart for me, the Holy Spirit said, Barnabas first and Saul. And then in Acts 13, 9, it says, Saul also called Paul. So for some reason he changed his name to Paul. And from that point on, almost every time, instead of Barnabas and Saul or Barnabas and Paul, almost every time, it's Paul and his companions, Paul and Barnabas. Unless they go back to Jerusalem to talk to the Jerusalem council, then it's Barnabas and Saul. But the rest of the way through, it's Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. Paul And, and Barnabas stepped aside because he said, Paul, you've got great gifts, man. You take the lead. Um, That's encouraging to let someone else lead. I have more I could say about it. I I don't have time. Eighth, when we come alongside an underdog, we're an encourager. This is acts of service, okay? And in Acts 15, it says this now. Paul and Barnabas went on a missionary trip, and they went all over Asia, minor starting churches, and they took a guy named John Mark with them. Partway through the trip, John Mark got homesick or scared or tired or something, then he went back to Jerusalem. And so they're going on a second missionary trip in Acts 15, 37. It says, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement, they parted company. This always boggles my mind. Paul, who heard from the Holy Spirit, Barnabas, who heard from the Holy Spirit, more godly men than you and I had a sharp... It happens in churches, right? You can't put two imperfect people together and have a perfect relationship. But I had a friend tell me once, they were both right and they were both wrong. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I wish Barnabas would have said to Paul, Paul, you're right, you have an urgent call on your life, you need to get on with it, John Mark will slow you down, but he needs a second chance and I'm the guy to give it to him. Or, I wish Paul would have said, you're right, Barnabas, John Mark deserves a second chance and, uh, and you're the right guy to give it to him, but I have to go do this thing. But instead they had this disagreement. Um, and I think Barnabas could have said, you know what, Paul? You wouldn't be here if I hadn't given you a second chance. Who are you not to give John Mark a second chance? And sometimes we need to be there for people. Finally, you're an encourager if you're willing to be forgotten. If you're willing to be forgotten. Um, another subtle shift in the book of Acts that maybe you've never seen is, if you read all the way up through Acts chapter um, 16, verse 9, it says, you know, Barnabas and Paul, or they did this, or Paul and Barnabas, or they, 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 they. And, and they try to go into some places, and the Holy Spirit stops them, they go to tress, and then in Acts 16, verse 10, for the first time it says, then we went here, and we went there. God closed the door for Paul to go to other places, so he'd meet Luke, and Luke traveled with Paul and we don't hear anything else about Barnabas. Now, I think we know about Barnabas because Paul explained the early ministry of Barnabas. But Barnabas said, I don't care if people remember me. Uh, my wife and I, um, after being a youth pastor for seven years in Vista, she in 1990, we started a church in um, Chandler, Gilbert, Arizona called Sun Valley Community Church. And we were there eight, nine years, and we left, there were 450 people and I was 33 or when I started the church had more energy than wisdom and handed it off to our youth pastor who led it for another 16 years. And it went from 450 to like 3,003 three campuses. And then they made my youth pastor, Scott Wright out the president of converge or the Baptist, you know, the conference you're a part of. So I knew how to hire the right guy. And, um, And then now Chad's the pastor and they have eight campuses and 8,000 people or, you know, and it was just a tiny seed we planted. But we went to a pastor's conference in November. And so Kathy, we said, let's go, let's go to Sun Valley. Let's go to church there, you know. So we went to the main campus, you know, couldn't go to all of them. And we got there early, and we sat in the lobby, and we watched people walk around, and you know, there's so many people. Somebody might have said hi to us, but didn't ask us who who we were, and we didn't recognize anybody. And then we went, and we sat in the worship service, and Chad wasn't preaching, an associate was, and he didn't recognize us, and, and we left. And at the conference, Louis Giglio was speaking, and he said there was a man named Nicholas Zinzendorf. Anyone ever heard of Nicholas Zinzendorf? Okay, somebody has. From 1700 to 1760, he was in Germany. He sent missionaries out all over the world, and here would be his counsel to them. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And I looked at my wife and said, we didn't have to die to be forgotten. (laughs) Um, But the point is, it's not about us, right? So here's what I'd say. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and you have the power to change lives. You can come alongside others, so you don't have to do all of these things. But be generous, maybe, or or embrace someone who needs to be embraced, or affirm someone um, by speaking positive words over their life, or remember someone who feels forgotten that hasn't been here for a few weeks, or include them in what you're doing. Or it's funny you think I don't want to ask them to help me. People want to help. Take time to be with them. Uh, let them lead. Um, Root for an underdog. Be willing to be forgotten and, and, and do it every single day. I've got to tell you, a lady stopped me and I won't tell her name because it's not fair but, and she might not mind, but she stopped me at the last service and says, you don't know how bad I needed to hear this. I'm that cup full of boiling hot water that spills things on people and I, I just need I just wrap my arm around her and pray. I don't know what's going on. and prayed for her. You can do that. You, know, you don't have to be a pastor, but you have the Holy Spirit in you. And uh, there is power and encouragement. Maybe I'll spend some time just studying Barnabas. Huh? Jesus, thank you for this church. Thank you for my brother Kenny. Thank you for um, your Holy Spirit living inside of us. Lord, thank you for these people. Um, almost, I've met so many people who've been a part of this church for 30, 40, 20 years. Um, I've met men who have just only come for a few years because they were going through a difficult thing, and one of their friends, went to this church and invited them and they found Christ. A couple of them just got baptized last October. This is your church. You're doing things here. Help us be in tune to your spirit and in tune to others and encourage them.
0: In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, the writer to the Hebrews at the end of, of Hebrews writes this. He says, now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. And before you leave, please greet the folks around you and thank them for being here.